And uh, I probably watched 10 hours of video, uh, read countless of sermons and messages and uh, commentary, uh, checking the meaning of words, everything, the whole ball of wax. And I'm not saying that because I know how or to prop me up. I'm saying that you, each one of you can do the very same thing. You can do the same thing in discovering something of what God is saying in Scripture. Yes. All of us are capable. Amen? Amen? So, that being said, I am going to start in the book of Matthew. It's always good to start with the Word of God. Amen? Yes. So, the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And the key passage today is going to be 26 to 29. Today is Communion Sunday, as you see. And today, I'm going to talk a lot about wine. If you see here, a bottle of, uh, I'm not sure what it is, a Molo, a bottle of Molo. I found this in Pastor Nick's guitar case. Just kidding. Just put it back. <laughs> This is for those long nights of ministry. No, this bottle here is a bottle of wine that we're all very familiar with. They produce it, press it, fill it into uh, special vats, ferment it. Once it's fermented, they pour it in this bottle, cap it off with a cork, and then seal it. So let's uh, go to verse 26. So as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is, in, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And then he says in verse 29, Mark my words. If he says, mark my words or listen to this, that's something that we really need to pay attention to, amen? Mark my words. I will not drink wine, or in some uh, passages, the fruit of this vine, again, until the day I drink it, with new, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I will not drink this wine, the fruit of this vine, again, until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So today we're going to talk about wine, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and the whole purpose of communion. So at the end of today, I want you all to look at this differently. Look at it a way different way than perhaps you ever looked at it before. So it behooves me to also back up. So we're going to go to the Old Testament, but I'm not going to ask you all to go there. In Isaiah 5... It's called the Song of Isaiah, and it's a song that Isaiah is singing. And he describes a vineyard. And in this vineyard, he says these key things. He says that God, God designed the vineyard, by the way, planted it. He said, one, he found rich, fertile soil on a hill. On a hill. Secondly, he plowed it. Third, he removed the stones. He got the stones out. Now, a lot of vineyard makers in those days would remove the stones, but they would keep those stones and build a wall. So it's, uh, uh, third, after he removed the stones, I mean, sorry, fifth, he, planted, he built a watchtower and he built a wall, a wall to protect it and a watchtower. And then he planted the best vines 
and carved a wine press out of those stones in the center of the vineyard. So this is obviously a grape vineyard. There's grapes. So he did all this, and then God said he expected a harvest. He looked at the, these vineyard, this vineyard, and he expected a harvest. But then he asked a question. He said, why only bitter grapes were produced from this vineyard? And this connotation here, this meaning of the bitter grapes, means stinking, rotten, no good, sour grapes. So stinking, rotten, no good, sour grapes. So this vineyard produced not what God expected. God expected a crop of justice, and instead it brought a crop of oppression. He expected a crop of righteousness, but instead found violence. And instead of joy in the Lord, they found joy in the wine of the world and were, uh, never gave thought about what the, the Lord was doing. This is all still coming out of Isaiah. I'm just paraphrasing. It's, it's very long. <laughs> so these, he, instead of the things he was looking for, he found violence and he found oppression and he found uh, them ignoring what God is doing, not even paying attention to what the Lord is doing. So these verses here are important that I want to highlight. Verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Doesn't this sound all too familiar in this day and age? Yes. We're seeing this front and center. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol that they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free, and they punish the innocent. So what Jesus God is saying here is, you can bring these lights up, Hank, just a little bit more. Thank you. And uh, what God is saying here is, apart from me, apart from the vineyard of the grape that I am expecting, produces the opposite. You're getting violence. You're getting oppression. You're getting innocent who are saying, I'm not guilty. And they're saying, you're guilty anyways. So you can't even prove your innocence. There's violence. There's uh, fighting and uh, animosity. And we'll see in the New Testament uh, how this is described even more. So that's the picture Isaiah is talking about. And then at the end of that chapter, it talks about God destroying the walls and letting the enemy come in. And that happened. The Babylonians came rushing in to destroy Israel. So, let's move ahead. Now we're moving out of the Old Testament back in the New Testament, and in Matthew, Mar Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke 20, we see Jesus bringing up this very song in Isaiah 5. The book of John doesn't cover this, by the way, and I'll tell you why I think that is. So anyways, uh, it's in Matthew 21, and it's the parable of the evil farmers. We're all very familiar with it. He said, now listen to this other story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall, dug a pit for pressing out the wine juice, and built a lookout tower. And then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. They say a brand new vineyard takes about five years to be fruitful. So he left, and at the appropriate time for the harvest, he sent his servant to go get it. And they beat that servant up and sent him back. They sent another one. They beat him on the side of the head, even worse injury, and sent him back. The third one came, they killed him. 
And then the landowner said, well, all I have left is my beloved son. And he sent his son, and they said, Let's, this is the son, he's the heir to this vineyard, let's destroy him, take his inheritance outside of the vineyard and kill him. So when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and scribes about this, he said, what should be done? And the Pharisees right away said, well, there needs to be justice, that's wrong, you know. They were shocked at the story. But then the verse moves on a little bit further in the passage, and then it dawned on them what Jesus was saying. They would obviously remember Isaiah 5. That's, a, that's a, you know, a book that's in their, uh, the law and of the Old Testament. So they would know that, and then they became angry and wanted to kill Jesus. And yet, they didn't at that time because it wasn't Jesus' appropriate time. So, Jesus asked what should be done, the farmers, and they realized that he was talking about them. And Jesus said, very importantly, this is part of my message today, he said, that is because of this, I am removing you as the proprietors of the vineyard, and I'm giving it to another. And that was the birth of Christianity. Moving it from the Jews, who were supposed to do it, and he said, I'm going to take it outside the vineyard. That's why Jesus was taken outside the vineyard to be killed. He was prophesying. So the driver for this world, like that garden, oh, and uh, servants that were being killed, that was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was tortured. Isaiah was sawed in half. Amos, he ran for his life, as if his life depended on it, literally. Micaiah, Zechariah, all these prophets and judges that were sent to Israel were uh, hated. They persecuted them. They did not want them to come in there and tell them what the Lord was saying. So he was pointing his finger at those Pharisees as well for all their past uh, forefathers, if you will. So people knew this, and they knew this story about how you have to remove the leaven and the yeast because uh, uh, the vineyard was full of that yeast. And now, that was another part that I took out of my message. I'm not going to talk about the yeast. But the yeast was always a symbol of sin. It was a symbol of the sin, and I was always told, let's heap it out of the bread, because a little leaven leavens the whole bunch. So Paul knew this in 1 Corinthians 5-7. He said, get rid of the old yeast and remove that wicked person from among you, and then you will be like a fresh batch of dough, made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. There is more to this Last Supper than we understand. When Jesus said, they asked Jesus, when are we going to do, where are we going to do the Passover? And Jesus said, go to the upper room, find that man with a jar of water, and he'll show you where the room is, and go there and we'll prepare it. At this very moment, when they were doing this, it was the Passover feast. This was the time. They all knew for 1,400 years they had been doing this Passover feast. 1,400 years since the day of, of Moses. Now, we all know the Passover feast. It was the angel of death passing over the homes. He put the blood on their doorposts and they were Passover, but it, it killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But this Passover feast also began the week of the unleavened bread. And this unleavened bread was a, uh, to remember when they left Egypt, they had to go in a hurry. So Moses said, 
what's going to happen, this final uh, calamity that's going to fall on the Egyptians, is going to finally convince them and let your people go. Gird up your loins, pack your bags, you're ready to go. They left in such a hurry, they didn't have time to do the east. That's a message right there. When God calls you to go, you don't have time for your sin. When God called you out of darkness, don't grab the darkness with you. It's time to let it go. So Moses ordered them to be ready, and they had to flee. And so they fled, and they didn't even take the yeast with them. So that week was to, uh, to remember that they left Egypt without the yeast. So they had, for a whole week, they had to eat that unleavened bread. Now here's more tips from more uh, stuff you might have not known about the Passover. So exactly 50 days from the Passover feast was Pentecost. And exactly 50 days after the Passover was the Ten Commandments, the Torah. So from the time they left Egypt to the time at Mount Sinai, they took them 40 days to get to Mount Sinai, and then 10 days later, Moses came down with the law, the Ten Commandments. The Passover feast with Jesus, he was dead, buried, resurrected. How many days did he spend with his disciples? He spent 40 days with them. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost. So Jesus was doing exactly what he was called to do at the exact appropriate time. Let's go on with, uh, yes, the Mount Sinai. Sometimes I don't like these notes because I'm going ahead of myself, you know what I mean? Like, mm. But Mount Sinai, it was fire and smoke. And the people were scared. They stayed away from it. They were frightened. And uh, only Moses could go up. On Pentecost, fire and smoke came down upon that room, and they had tons of fire. And the people were attracted to it. They didn't run away. Right. You are the smoke and the fire. Yeah. When the Holy Spirit came into your life, you are the smoke and the fire. And it's not to burn or destroy people. It's to attract people. It's to bring people coming. So it's another message. We tell the churches... A lot of churches have stopped being Mount Sinai. <laughs> so, you guys are the smoke and the fire. 3,000 died at Mount Sinai because they were disobedient during when Moses went up. And 3,000 died in uh, breaking the covenant. How many were saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 3, souls were saved that very day. And Pentecost, incidentally, was the day of a pilgrimage of everybody around the world coming to Jerusalem. I went to Israel a long time ago, 22 years ago, and my dad and I went, and incidentally, we didn't even pay attention. It was Passover when we went. So we were on a plane, and we were the only two white guys on the plane. There were, I mean, everybody's white, but the only two non-Jewish guys on the plane. I mean, it was packed, kids running up and down the hall. You know, I swear there was animals on the plane, too. It was just insane. And we just realized, we're looking at a calendar, like, oh my gosh, it's Passover. So everybody from around the world made a pilgrimage to go there. And so it was pertinent that it was that time because the gospel could be spread. These people were going back home and bringing that gospel, those 3,000 souls that were saved. Yeah. Amen. This is so awesome, guys. Yes. Yes, so let's go back to the Last Supper. So Jesus said, here's the bread. I'm going to break it and give it to you, and this is my body. Can you imagine disciples that are sitting there at the table, you know, feasting on the lamb? that they had to cook whole, you know, to cook everything, and they had to eat the whole thing. So they're eating the lamb, and Jesus goes, this is my bread broken for you, and this is my body. Come back. 
you know, mouthful of food, looking at each other going, whoa, 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 whoa. For 1,400 years, the bread was called the bread of affliction. And the head of the household would hold it up and say, this is the bread of affliction to remind us of our time in Egypt. And they would break it, and they would have a solemn time of remembering their, their, their bondage in Egypt. And then they would eat bitter herbs and uh, sour wine or something like that. They would just do all kinds of things to remember. But Jesus upended and destroyed 1,400 years of tradition. So the disciples were going, what? And they had a, a small halal, which was a small hymn. And then they would drink four cups of wine. So they would start with a cup, eat the bread, have another cup, eat the meal, the bitter herbs and stuff like that. And then they would sing the long Hillel, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 115 and 118. And then they would finish it with the final cup. No wonder it was the long hymn at the end, because after four cups, you know. <laughs> no, they, they shared the cup, so it wasn't like four cups each. So this was the process. This is what they did. And uh, the, the traditions that they had up to that point. And Jesus just, just messed it all especially when he said, I will not drink of this cup again. I strongly suspect that fourth cup was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my heart and my life so that all can be saved. That would bring you out of that bondage. Because it doesn't say here they consummated that meat with that cup. So it's very interesting. John 5.36, he told them this parable. No one wears a piece of cloth and a, a patch of new piece of cloth on old garment. It would rip. No one puts old, uh, new, wine skin and, new wine and old wineskin, that whole process. The disciples sitting there at that table had to immediately become new wineskins. They had to learn what is this new process. Up to this point, the sacrifices always reminded them of their sin, especially the last uh, communion. It reminded them of their sin, it reminded them of their bondage, it reminded them of coming out of Egypt. The Last Supper, the communion today, is to remind us of what Jesus did for us. That's what it reminds us of. It should not remind you of your sin. It should remind you of what God did for you so that you can be fruitful and have life. So at the end of John 5.36, he did add this. For no one drinking old wine wants to new, for they say, the old is better. So that was the group then. That was the group then. The old is better. I hope you're seeing some parallels with this society today. They are saying the old paradigm, the old way of doing things is better. And they don't want to change. They do not want to upset the system that has been governing our nation for all this time. The old is better. We want to keep the old. Old behavior, old behaviors that we cling to so desperately is killing us. Willpower can't set you free, and I'm not talking about losing weight or, you know, trying to stop smoking. I'm not talking about that. All behaviors are habits. So habits that God wants you to change, he is speaking, and we are just old wineskins. If there's a habit of, uh, let's see where I put it here. Here we go. Habits unchecked are stronger than conscious willpower every time. Habits unchecked are stronger than conscious willpower. I'm going to do better. I'm going to, I'm going to do more for God. I'm going to, you know, I want to do all these things. And it's just clinging on to yourself. It's just clinging on to your old wineskin, you know, your daily walk with the Lord. 
And I'm saying today, instead of clinging on to the old wine, it's time to get the new wine that Jesus has poured out for us. When he said, I will not drink of this wine again, this stuff leads to calamity, violence, drunkenness, misery, the innocent being guilty, and the guilty going free. The new wine brings justice, it brings love, it brings forgiveness, mercy, joy, and abundance. That's what the new wine brings. The vineyard today still has all the pieces from the Song of Isaiah. Removing stones. God said, I will remove that stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. Uh, planted on a hill. Uh, in Matthew, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, it will, how it will be made salty again? It will be trampled underfoot. He says in the next verse, you are the light of the world, a town built on a what? A hill. You are supposed to be built on a hill. All may see your good works. All may see the fruit that you can produce for them. The new wine, not the bitter, old, stinking, rotten grapes. This is all over the place in the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who... Uh, are persecuted because of righteousness. What is it? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See the change? See the change here? So Jeremiah and Isaiah were all persecuted and destroyed and told to go away. Israel was destroyed eventually in 70 AD from uh, uh, Rome so, and the Babylonians and the Assyrians from Judah all the way down to the southern kingdom. They all came in and took over all of it. But the disciples were also destroyed martyred and killed and chased and all that. But you know what the difference was? They didn't fight back with malice. They didn't fight back with enmity and wanting to kill and get even and you know, destroy those that tried to destroy them. You know why? Because they were full of a new wine. They were full of a new wine. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my righteousness, righteous sake. Blessed are you people, are the people when the people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because that great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they will persecute you as well. There is the old vineyard. In the same way they persecuted the, vineyard, they persecuted the prophets, they will persecute you. Jesus said, and, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a wheat field with tares. So you've got the wheat and the tares. So what do you do? Go in there and destroy the tares? No, you'll wreck the wheat. So where is the vineyard today? The vineyard is you. The vineyard is Clearwater. The vineyard is this church. The vineyard is the body of Christ. Wherever it may be, that is now the vineyard. The wall has been broken down, so now we're mixed. We're mixed. Be in the world, but not of the world. See how all that stuff is kind of coming together? You're seeing it a little different. At least I am. There is more to this Last Supper than we ever realize. All right, remember when I mentioned in John, he did not mention the parable of the evil farmers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke covered it. John did not. I think I know why. In John 15, where is that famous message? Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now Jesus is completely upending everything. 
before we were planted in, in Israel, and this was going to be a place that everybody saw who God was and planted here. That's where the vineyard was. But in Psalm 80, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah 2, they mentioned the transplanting of that vine. In fact, the coins that they used back then had a little vine on it with grapes. The entry to their temple had a vine engraved in gold over the archway. So they understood this vine uh, symbology. And Jesus said, now I am the true vine. So apart from me, you can do nothing. So drinking this, the old world, which uh, we can all easily do, will uh, not produce what God wants us to produce. But drinking from the true vine, where Jesus said the uh, transplanting of the Israelites out of Egypt and getting, you know, knocking out the enemies, what are we now today? We are grafted into the vine. We have been taken cut off from where we were in the old darkness and grafted to the vine. Now that we can produce new fruit, the new wine. So you are the new wine. Nothing good can come from any human without the vine. Look at the world now. Is it any wonder that it's in the mess that it's in? They're all trying with their own human endeavor to be the wine. Jesus began to teach until the day he was... Uh, taken up into heaven. So the 40 days that Jesus was with the disciples, what was he teaching them? First, he was teaching them, I'm alive. I've been resurrected. But then it said he was teaching them the thing concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. During those 40 years, it was important. And then they said, well, where will the kingdom be? Will it be established here? Or will you, you know, come back and, and be the, the king again? And he said, don't worry about that. What you need to worry about is to wait for the power on high, and the power will come to you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus was, in effect, saying the kingdom of God is now in you, ready to be preached as a witness to my love and to my vine. You are the new wine. When the Israelites left Egypt, Oh, I already caught that, so I got ahead of myself here. Wow, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> so what are we today? What are we today? What has happened to us? You know, what, what is our uh, purpose, if you will? What is it that we need to do? Well, first, wine needs to go to a pressing process. We need to go to the wine press. And not just once, not just, you know, ah, I did it. Whew. You know, God is continually changing us and altering us and making us a better witness to the world around us. We have to submit to the wine press. But the wine press, now in the old days, what wine meant, it meant um, joy and it meant abundance. And it was almost always tied in with olive oil. You would have the oil and the new wine. The oil and the new wine. They were always talking about those two things. It didn't mean you were wealthy. It just meant that you were blessed. You had an abundance of wine. Jesus had that wedding feast. He turned those pots of water to wine because it was a celebration of a wedding. And that, that had that connotation. So for us to have the joy of the Lord, for us to have the abundance of the Lord, we need to submit ourselves to the wine press. God needs to press out the, uh, I like to think of, a wine doesn't have a grape skin and all the stuff inside of it. It's just the juice. People don't want the skin, and people don't want all the old wine. You are either a sour grape 
or a good grape bringing new wine. So we have to submit to that wine press. And there's also um, another thing that does too is it makes us blessed with abundance and joy. It's not meant for us. Isn't that something? To be blessed with abundance and joy is not meant for us. What is, who is it meant for? It's meant for the world. If I had a vineyard, I'm making, you know, wine, and I was like, phew, I have, you know, a thousand bottles of wine from this harvest. That's awesome. All right, just put it on the shelf. You know what I mean? Nobody would do that. They would put this out, Columbia Crest, and they would sell it. You know, that's a $9 bottle of wine right there. And, uh, and then they would, you know, hope that they would create a following and then people would be like, that stuff is awesome. That's what I'm going to buy from now on for a Merlot or whatever, Cabernet. It's, it's that notoriety with the label of the wine. Do you want to have that same notoriety? Do you want us to have that same label of, I'm the one offering you mercy, justice, forgiveness. Justice, I don't mean justice like you're condemned. Justice of, isn't it awesome up to this point that we still live in a nation that wants innocent until proven guilty. That's refreshing. It's not a hindrance. It's refreshing. It knows that I have a voice. I can say something before someone accuses me and ruins me. That's, that's beautiful. Uh, I'm not trying to get political. So that kind of thing is what sets you free. It's not the injustice or the fake justice does not set you free. It binds you up and puts you into bondage. Bondage. So that blessing is very crucial. It's never for the branch. Oh, those grapes look great on that branch. That's awesome. The branch doesn't care about the grapes. It's just doing its thing. The grapes are useless just sitting there on the branch. I read somewhere that when you are blessed with abundance, that you should build a bigger table and not a taller fence. You need to build a bigger table. Don't build a taller fence. When God blesses you, it should be poured out for the world. It's really upsetting or unsettling to drink alone. Oh, I'm just going to drink this whole bottle by myself, drown in my sorrows. You know, it's just, if you told someone you did that, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? You don't drink by yourself. You've got to have somebody with you, right? Or three or four or five and you're sitting at a table and you're all enjoying a glass of wine, that's how you're supposed to express God's love with the world. Build a bigger table. When you take responsibility for your own vineyard, everyone else benefits. When you put on your life, when you, when you pour out your life, you should be pouring out the new wine. Church is not divine. Church is not divine. House gatherings are not divine. Music ministry is not divine. Nick isn't divine. The vine is Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. When Jesus spoke there at the Last Supper, it meant that no more will this sin have power because of the new wine will defeat the yeast and sin forever. So going back to the wine, to ferment this thing, they put yeast and sugar in there. Okay, And then the thing... They say that it turns into like a party, and it just goes crazy, like it just goes nuts, because yeast is a single-cell fungus, and all it wants to do is consume the sugar that's in there, and then the, 
the, the fumes, if you will, the gas from that, makes it fermented. It makes it fermented wine. Now the yeast makes it go really fast, but right now in this bottle of wine, there's no yeast. There's no more yeast. When the yeast dies, it, it's ready. And did you know how long it takes to ferment wine? Seven days. Seven days, there's that number seven again. Now, I don't need to get all scientific. So it only takes seven days, it only takes seven days. When you pray and you say, Lord, I want to be the new wine. I need you to speak to me. I want the Holy Spirit to use me. I'm tired of being a stinking Christian. I want to be a Christian that smells good and that people want to be around. And it doesn't happen that day. And you give up. You don't pray the second day. Lord, I want to be what you called me to be. And that didn't work. So maybe you go to three days. It takes seven days to make that bottle. Why are you giving up? It may take a little while for that fermenting process for the yeast to get out of your system. It may take a little time. So now you have a responsibility and an authority. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm getting to my end. When Jesus said the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and when you are stewards and people of the kingdom of God, you have an authority. You have an authority to speak because you are a child of the king. That's a whole other message, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Kind of like the ranks in a service. So if you're in the Navy or Army or whatever, are we brothers in the Navy? He's a lieutenant commander. And I remember talking to him about it, and he said, I said, what does that mean? He goes, all it means is more responsibility. That's all it means. More, more pay, but more responsibility. That's it. He went from taking care of 100 guys, I don't know what he's doing now, just throwing it out there. Now he has to in charge of 500. So instead of being lieutenant commanders above him, he's above other lieutenants and people below him. But he cannot get there to lieutenant commander, sitting on the couch, not doing his job, goofing off, and you know, uh, not getting his master's. He had to do all these hurdles to get that rank. Where do you want to be ranked in the kingdom of God? Do you want to be just the grunt that's doing the grunt work? Or do you want to be a lieutenant commander in the kingdom of God? With responsibility, with a duty, with a sense of service. You know, it's really, the military is really interesting when you think about it. It's the same thing. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. He wants to take you to that next level. What are you going to do with what he gave you now? What are you going to do with the grapes that he gave you now? Are you going to produce something with it or just sit around and hang on to it? Those that don't want an aromatic, I'm sorry, a promotion are old wineskins. Nah, the old is better. I don't want to be promoted. I'm saved. You know, I got my ticket. It, this, there's more to this Last Supper than you ever thought. The result in the bottle that has captured all of that uh, ferment fermentation process is, is energy. Think about that. So this thing is alcoholic and it's full of energy. If you were to drink this whole bottle, you're going to feel the energy. <laughs> all right? It's, it, there's all kinds of energy in here. Now, untap that energy and drink it all is going to do something to you. If you untap the new wine yes. and drink the whole bottle, yes. you get to stay sober. <laughs> there's no hangover. You wake up the next day and you're still full of joy. And you're like, I want another one of those. 
That's what God offers. That's what Jesus offers. The new wine will keep the mind working right, and it will give you the joy and the abundance to share with others. You can say, I don't know what to share. I don't know what to say. You know, I'm a little embarrassed or shy, whatever. You didn't drink enough new wine. Because I've been around people that drink too much of this wine, and they are not embarrassed about anything. Woo! You know, they just go crazy. And they're walking around. They'll talk to anybody. They, everybody's their friend. You know, it, that, that produces a lot of friendly people. <laughs> the new wine, the new wine will produce a friendly person, but you got to drink the, all, the whole bottle. you got to drink the whole bottle to produce what you want to produce. It'll subdue the fears. It'll subdue all the, uh, I'm an introvert, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it's, it's, to be a blessing is the biggest blessing you can receive. Right. It's not the blessing you receive. It's to be a blessing is the blessing that you can receive. Amen? Amen. Do you want a promotion? Do you want a promotion? God expects vineyard fruits from those with vineyard privileges. What is worse than no grapes? Stinking rotten grapes. The rotten grapes lead to a hypocritical faith where grace doesn't thrive, corruption does. That's the world we live in today. They don't have any grace. They don't have any mercy. They're just snarling and angry and mad. And that's the contrast that we're up against. So I was talking to Aubrey about how to like, like I present this. But in spite of whatever may happen with this world and with this country and all this scary crap that's going on around us, when the darkness gets so dark, that's when the light is the most brightest. So you got to hang on. I was talking to Antonio about this. You got to hang on and do the fight. You gotta, you gotta fight. You gotta stand up against the hordes of wickedness and all that stuff that's going around. But then you also have to remember the fight is over. Jesus already conquered it. Thank you. But we have a duty. But our duty is not to snarl and fight and have fights on Facebook and you know all that stuff that we're trying to do. You're just, you're just, you're just producing old wine. It does nothing. It's, it's tasteless salt. I was told that when a vineyard is in full grape bloom, and they're getting ready to press it, and they're pressing, it's the most beautiful fragrance you could ever smell. It's just gorgeous. Like, everybody's just attracted to that. That's what a Christian should be. You should just be so aromatic and beautiful smelling that it attracts everybody coming to you. So you can either be a repellent, or you can be an attract attraction. You can allow them to come to you. So he said, this is my body broken for you. And he also said, this is my blood poured out for you. If the servers could uh, get the table ready, and uh, we'll get ready. The world will hate you, and it will persecute everything that you hold dear and believe. Seriously, we believe in uh, a lot of things that we believe God has done. You know, the, just the history alone of this nation is amazing. We have been blessed beyond measure. But God uh, has held us to a higher standard than just being an American. Amen? So this is my blood that has been poured out for you. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you are grafted unto me. The product of the world being put through a wine press is the wine of unrighteousness 
injustice, malice, uh, greed, loss, all those things. But the wine, the product of the wine put into the press of a Christian will bring out the wine of righteousness, love, mercy, justice, peace, abundance, and joy. A real attractive grace. You either, uh, no, sorry, you can't change the world. You can't change the world. That's another thing I want to throw in there. I have a friend, Richie, in Pittsburgh, who's doing this amazing work in the city. And he went to go visit someone he had led to the Lord, and he wanted to follow up. So he, the girlfriend was there. He said, hey, is so-and-so here? He goes, no, he's, I'm sorry, he passed away. He goes, oh, no, what, when did he pass away? And she goes, three hours after you led him to the Lord. I have a friend in uh, Niger, married, beautiful couple, my classmates. They have five kids. They're ministering in Niger. And they put together this gigantic uh, gathering of the whole country to come together in a big, huge, uh, like, revival service. I have another friend who's a pilot in Tanzania flying relief missions and doing all over, he's like a bush pilot. And he learned how to do that here. I have a friend in Canada ministering there in Toronto um, doing amazing work there. So I'm saying that God is doing something. God is ministering and the world is going to be okay. What are you responsible for? Clearwater, your home, your work. You're responsible for right here. Don't look at the whole world and worry about how that's going to you know, get better. So take care of your vineyard, and it will take care of the world on its own. Be the new wine. Let's build a bigger table. Let's build a bigger table. That should be our slogan for 2019. So we're going to have communion, and uh, we know the process here, but I hope you look at this completely different. This, 